This is licensed marriage and family therapist Chris Hoff, host of the Radical Therapist podcast. It is in my strong clinical opinion that you never listen to I Doubt It with Dolomar. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right. Welcome, everybody, to this 164th episode, regular episode, of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me, raring to go with the ferocity of a thousand eagles. Eagles are fierce, so. Brittany Page. Real fierce. <laughs> How are you doing? I am I am feeling better today. So usually when you say that you're joking and I'm really tired or whatever, and I do feel I feel ready to do this today. Well rested. Yes. Up to the task. Mm-hmm. It's I was worried because earlier today mm-hmm. we were walking around Costco. We've talked about Costco on the program before. Program. That it is a discount warehouse store where they have Lots of things for sale. Yes, and they have a very nice food court. Right. Well, that's what I want to talk about. That's why we went to Costco, because it's cheap eats, big giant slices of pizza for super cheap, and hot dogs aplenty. It's just a you know a nice little place to get a snack. Right. It's not very clean, but it's cheap. Yeah. Well, it's the same place where the the old the old elderly lady, I assisted her, and everybody thought I was crazy. Well, we went to the same place and ate. And then we walked around Costco and bought some coffee or whatever. I mean, I don't want to give the the deets of the day. (laughs) But Brittany, today, for some reason, you you were walking around and after having (laughs) eaten your piece of pizza, you were doing this while we walked through the store. (laughs) And clearing your throat because obviously whatever you had eaten was... (laughs) Didn't go down very well no, or whatever. I, You're clearing very cheesy pizza. Yeah, it made me very a flummy. Yeah, it made me really flummy. Well, I kept looking at you <laughs> because every you. This is what's weird about Brittany Page. She claims to be this hyper vigilant person, no. but she walks through the store having zero idea <laughs> that the people in front of her, because mm-hmm. it's a crowded fucking place, and you have these oversized carts shopping carts so it's it's just a fucking shit show it's everybody's asshole to elbow it's just full <laughs> chock full of people it is a disaster and so there are people in front of us who are going far slower than is reasonable and behind them all they hear is <laughs> as if to indicate hey fuckers get out of my way you're trying to alert them. And I kept Which looking at I you. I had no idea. I kept looking at you to be like, hey, why don't you tone that down a little bit or do it in a different rhythm? Because everybody in front of you right now thinks you're this uppity Newport Beach bitch okay. who wants them to get out of the way. I did not know that that was happening. All I was trying to do was fix <clears throat> my problem 
of being really <clears> flummy. <throat> so one, you did look at me and you <clears throat> you got my attention and you made me stop. <laughs> and so I was able to really, you know, cough and get it together. Well, you didn't know. I didn't say in the store what the problem was that no, everybody's you, looking at you. You gave me an aggressive look that while I was doing it. <laughs> Which we've had a problem with my my clearing of the throat before where you think I'm trying to talk to you or you think I'm irritated at something you're doing and I really am just clearing my throat. Right. And you're jumping to conclusions. Clearing your throat is like, you do it. It is very pointed and aggressive. It's not normal. It's not normal to do it like that. No, you do it in a very fucking librarian, angry librarian way. Uh, this, is, <clears throat> this is news <laughs> to me. This is news. No. Yes. It cannot. There's no way this is the first time. It is. That you've heard that you have a very directed, purposeful clearing of the throat. Yes, it is the first time. Wow. And well, I think it's probably just due to your hostility no. and not me. So everyone else in the Costco. <laughs> this was a this was a different situation because I had the very cheesy pizza and I had a Sierra Mist with it. <laughs> and so what it, the hell does that it, have to do with it anything? It made for a particularly phlegmy <laughs> lunch. It did. So oh, Jesus. yes, it, that's the recipe. Mm-hmm. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. Now, you, hey, listen. You heard it here. You heard it here first, folks. Uh-huh. That is the recipe <laughs> for a flemmy, flemmy throat. <laughs> Cheese pizza and Sierra Mist. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm the worst. <clears throat> Stop. All right, moving on. We do have some listener feedback. First of all, I would like to address a certain clip that I played over and over. And over last show. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. <laughs> Which I find to be hilarious. Because any right-thinking person knows that Brittany's not the best part of the show. Mm-hmm. It's Jesse D. Mm. Who is certainly... <clears throat> Brittany. <laughs> Sorry. Certainly. <laughs> anyway, we got a voicemail from the, the, the aforementioned... Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Listener. Bye. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. Hey, Jesse, I just wanted to totally apologize for, for you know, hurting your feelings, saying that Brittany was the best part of the show. Um, in my defense, I, I thought you already knew. I mean, I thought that's why you had her on the show. But, you know, you have your awesome qualities. I mean, you say Ben Affleck just like I do, and, like, you're the only person I, I ever heard that said it like that. And, you know, you got that great laugh, and... And uh, I'm not sure if I'm mistaken or not, but from what Brittany says, you may have been a Marine at some point. So, you know, there's no no, no shame in being second fiddle to to Brittany, you know. Um, but seriously, you guys, keep up the great work. I love listening to the show. Wish you could put on a show five days a week. And, uh, you know, I am a Patreon subscriber. So keep up the good work, guys. Bye. Nice. Wonderful. And thank you for being a patron. Yes, for sure. Thank you for being a patron. But listen, I don't know if I'm going to if I'm if I'm very comfortable being measured in fiddles. Mm -hmm. I just don't know about that. Mm -hmm. I'm second fiddle. 
I don't know that I want to be tw- 12th fiddle. I'm not a big fiddle guy. Well, looks like you are. <laughs> looks like that's happening. Well, you're first fiddle. I know. It feels great. Now, I realize that's not a fiddle. That's a banjo. Uh-huh. But I, I equate a fiddle and a banjo in some some ways. Okay. So, yeah, if you want to be associated with banjos and fiddles, yeah. Have, have at it. You know, I do not have a problem with that. <laughs> Ready to go. All right. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Um, you're awesome. Not you, Brittany. Quit looking all happy over there. Hmm. The caller. Okay. Moving on to something of a little bit more serious nature, I guess. He still shits on me. Is uh, an email from longtime listener to the show, Alexander from Denmark. Hello, Jesse and Brittany. This is Alexander from Denmark. Again. I must say <laughs> I must say that I am really enjoying your comments about the presidential primaries in the United States. It's a great service for us European listeners who don't have the same kind of expertise as you guys. But I do have two points I would like to share with you about the Democratic debate. First of all, I would like to comment on the statement Senator Sanders made about Denmark. I do agree with him that Denmark is a perfect example that a welfare state can bring a country many fantastic things, such as free health care, free education, economical equality, and a great economy. But Sanders' statement about capitalism completely contradicts his praise of Denmark, because Denmark is a capitalist country. I'm a social democrat, but just like all Danes on both the political right and left, I acknowledge that it is our great trade with other European nations, as well as our entrepreneurial and innovative spirit that brought us to the place we are today. And we couldn't do that without capitalism. Therefore, the U.S. can't afford to have Bernie Sanders as president. And even though I'm a social Democrat, I would support Hillary Clinton ahead of Bernie Sanders, just like many other Danes, because he doesn't understand what Denmark and our welfare state is about. Wow. That's, uh, I'm shocked by that. I'm shocked by that, too. It's something to be said. I wonder if we have any other Northern European listeners who feel the same. Uh, because that's, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders acts like he's the 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 sounding board for all things Scandinavian and wonderful right. in, a, in a democratic socialist government. Mm-hmm. And here he is being criticized by those very people or that someone... One person amongst mm-hmm. those very people. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting to me. Secondly, I would comment on the way you conducted the Democratic debate episode. I think it is quite interesting that you spend time on the last episode talking about how women are described as bossy when men are described as strong, while Jesse described Hillary Clinton as shrill, Mm, while Bernie Sanders was described as committed and passionate. I I know Jesse has a bias against Hillary Clinton. But it just becomes too much when he is bashing her constantly. Anyway, fan of Hillary Clinton, Alexander from Denmark. Here is what I said. Don't try to misquote me or misrepresent what I said. I said her voice was shrill. Not her being, not her person. Her voice was Mm -hmm. shrill. Is that not what I said, Brittany Page? That is what you said. Saying someone is shrill is vastly different than saying their voice is shrill. 
And I will say that I got a text message from someone who listens to the show and they said, yes, Jesse is right. Hillary Clinton has a shrill voice. In fairness, this person is planning to vote for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> um, so again, there might be a bias there. But then you also had someone give you some feedback. And do we know who the person that gave you feedback is voting for? Or leaning toward, I guess. Uh, yeah, actually, that's perfect. Uh, the, 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 the order of your questions is perfect. This person says, I agree that Hillary Clinton has a shrill voice. And in a second text says, and I'll likely be voting for her, unfortunately. That's pretty objective. That's what was said. So, okay. well, we still have. And a <laughs> hang on. One more thing, Alexander and Brittany. <laughs> This person with whom I texted is a professional musician. Uh-huh. It is their job. It's not a part-time gig or a fucking hobby. This person earns a living as a musician. So they know when a voice is shrill or not shrill. Hmm. So there you have it. Jesse D wins again. One more time. We'll put another, just a tick mark. Okay. A tick mark. No. On the board. No. Tick. It's already done. It's off. It's no. on the board. No. Um, the sample size is very small. <laughs> and I'll just lead with that. And oh, all right. Well, there must be something wrong with my <clears throat> hearing because... What was that? The definition of shrill is high-pitched and piercing. And I just... I don't find her voice to be that. So this could be a subjective matter. Well, of course, it's a little bit... There's some relative nature to it because i'm sure some people find my voice to be shrill sometimes some people do people who hate me especially sometimes some people think your voice is shrill yes not all the time Uh but sometimes okay and you do for to fairness here you do make fun of bernie sanders voice of course i compare him to the guy in the godfather the mu- movie producer guy who's like, and I'm not gonna be made to look ridiculous. I, I make I I uh, I compare him to that guy all the time, or I have in the past. Mm-hmm. So I make fun of both their voices. Of course, it's sophomoric. Of course, it's immature. But it's funny. Again, subjective. So <laughs> we will continue. Wow. We will continue with Alexander's oh, email. Jesus, I don't know if I want to. He says, "I love the show, and oh. I don't." There we go. I don't hope that this is perceived as me trying to pry Jesse's mouth open and directly shit right into his face, <laughs> but as a constructive criticism. Wow. Keep up the good work, Alexander from Denmark. P.S. Brittany is the best part. Love the show. <laughs> Brittany's the best part. Uh, so that's wonderful. And we, you know, we need to visit Denmark. It's becoming a mantra on the show, by the way. What Love is? Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Okay, well, we need to visit Denmark. I think that's our next kind of goal. I would love to. We need to have a show from Denmark. Alexander needs to be on the show. That would be goddamn awesome. That would be ideal. We need to get this going. Let's get that in motion. I'm going to start looking at how much flights are. Uh, Don't do it right now. You go into the keyboard right away. We're in the middle of a show here. Okay. I think you could wait to book the flights until after the show. This is such a scam. I'm already Googling it. It's a scam. (laughs) All right. Moving on. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode 
as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. So a couple episodes ago, on episode 162, if you're interested in the the backlog and the conversation we're getting ready to have, we talked to a gentleman named Victor, who is a, how would you put it, Brittany? A, he's a gun guy. Yes, a pro-gun guy. Yeah, a pro-gun a pro gun individual. Well, I tried to get someone on the show to talk to us who was anti-gun or more in support of very stringent gun control laws. Yes. And they got cold feet at the last minute. Mm-hmm. We don't have any reason for that. We just, that's what happened. So in an effort to continue that conversation, I have on the, on, on, on the, on the phone with us, Austin, who has been on before and who is now on again, a repeat guest. I guess he could be considered friend of the show now. And he is here to talk about his differences with Victor's opinion and I guess generally hash it out. I'm sure he has issues with me on my my take on it too. But Austin, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me again. And for in the spirit of full disclosure, Austin and I are Austin and I are old friends, mm-hmm. so it's not like he's just some random, right? <laughs> Senior black correspondent, <laughs> your, your, your Negro amigo. All right. <laughs> He said it, not me. <laughs> some some bias free language there. <laughs> well, so so let's let's jump into this, my Negro amigo. Um, oh God! What are you? Now you, said it. Now you said it. We can't start this. Well, it's an awesome. Well, awesome enough. I control. Well, I guess it's going to go on the internet. Anybody could fuck with the audio. But anyway, so let's get into this. What uh, what specifically? Well, not even specifically. Let's go through a list. The litany of things that you disagreed with relative to Victor's opinions. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that the main point that he was making with his stance for being a gun enthusiast and, and being pro-gun, you know, minus the control part on his side, um, was that I really didn't feel that he had anything to bring to the table as far as proposing what we should do. There there was a lot of talk about what we can't do to prevent stepping on gun owners' rights and to avoid impeding on the Second Amendment. And I I just, I I felt like, you know, I I understand his points. I'm I'm not, I'm not a huge anti-gun guy. Um, You know, I, I have respect for weapons of that nature. I've gone shooting. I'm comfortable with weapons to a certain extent. Um, but I, I feel like there was, there's more to that conversation and, you know, he just, he didn't articulate a valid proposal on how to solve this crisis that we've got going on. I, I would agree with that because he, when we got to the point where like, what do we do? And then there was the school's proposal that we just turn our schools into armaments or, or you know, into maximum security prisons. That's not a. That's I don't think that's a valid, viable solution. That that is like punishing kids because of the actions of a few, rather than 
dealing with the issue at its source, which would be keeping guns out of the hands of those few. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it, it goes to treating the symptom and not the actual disease if we're taking it to medical terminology. Yeah, that's actually that's perfect. That's exactly what you it know. is. And should we be turning schools into booby-trapped bunkers? I, I just I I get it as as far as a, a countermeasure to the threat itself. Um, but you know, you, you you had I think it was Dan um, last last episode um, who had a voicemail, um, and he I think he made the point that teachers don't get paid enough to take on that protection responsibility for for their students. Um, yeah. And they, they really don't. I, I don't think that's fair. We do have resource officers available in that capacity, but that I don't feel like that's a viable solution long term. You know, we, we have a we have a school in uh, like the school district in Garden Valley, Idaho, for example. They just recently set up an armory for each of their schools, and that's a rural area too. Yeah, and I, the, their their logic and reasoning behind it was they are so far away from their their first responding officers and and the emergency crews that would get out to them. I think it was like a forty five minute half an hour drive from anything from an actual response. And you know, I, I get it to that extent, but there's a, there's an issue. There's an underlying issue there. You know, how, how do we stem this at the source? And I, I'm never going to be the guy that's saying you know take all the guns away. But like Victor stated, we have 300 million guns in the U S and that's, that's guns for just about, I mean, that's a lot of adults with guns. Right. Well, let me say this though about garden Valley, Idaho, that I don't know that specific case, but I would say this, that if there are individual communities around the country who, who choose to do that, I I don't have a problem with that. I, I don't think that it is from a macro perspective, what needs to be done on a national level, but if individual communities like this school to, school in in Indiana or whatever, if they want to do that, I don't have a problem with it. But but let, let's get let's get to the disease and not the symptom, as you said. Right. Um, right. What what do we do? You know, I, I I've got a, a plan that I laid out today. Um, you know, it's it, I'm not a politician. I don't feel like I have much foothold in this in this regard, but. Um, looking back at some of the numbers today, um, a, a report from 2013, the CDC um, showed that we had, in, in 2013, we had 33,636 deaths in the U.S., based, firearm deaths, rather. And that, that, that rounds out to about 92 deaths per day. So to put that in perspective, the, the Boise State football stadium, you know, I, I'm in Boise, um, it has a capacity of 32,000 people. Right. So that, that's saying that fill that stadium up and all those people at the end of the year are just gone. Yeah. And when you look at it that way, that is quite profound. That is a lot of people. I've, I've been to games there. I live four blocks away from the stadium currently. Let's put that. Let's. I want to be just for honesty's sake, though. I want to put that figure in perspective. I don't know that specific statistic. But um, I'm sure that's also deaths at the hands of police. I'm I'm sure that's that's not all just gun violence at the hands of madmen. 
Right. And I've, I've got the numbers here for that as well. Um, on the homicide level, that's a, in 2013, that was 11,208 deaths. So the, there's obviously a problem there. You know, mm-hmm. is su- su- suicides in that nature, which, which I think the mental health aspect of it is a huge issue as well. Um, it, it was it was double that. It was twenty one thousand one hundred seventy five deaths in a single that, in a single year at the hands of a firearm or just suicide at the hands of firearms. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, get, getting on to to my proposal in in this regard, you know, may not be the most popular point of view, and I, I know that Victor would probably have a huge problem with what, what I'm about to, to lay out. Um, but I, I think that the, the background checks with the, uh, the, the next requirements, the, um, what is that? The, the national instant criminal background check system. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, I, I think that it needs to be expanded. Um, expanded how, there, what do you mean by that? I, I think that it needs to be more stringent. Uh, there were about 10 points on qualifications for that instant background check. Um, but on, on top of that, I, I think that there, um, the, the mental evaluation behind that should be a huge thing. Well, I, I think that it. Well, he, uh, he, he, this this is where we get into um, difficult territory because right. you have, because of the Patients' Bill of Rights and many other laws that have been passed by Congress, you have rights to privacy relative to your your medical condition, your medical history. So, if we make that a part of the public record that you have mental issues how do you how do you square that and i'm not shitting on what you're saying i think it may be the 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 price we have to pay but how do you square that against individual liberties and privacy concerns well i i think you know i i definitely view that as a valid valid point of contention on the issue um but you have stated something several times um from your platform and that is, and I'm, I'm loosely qu- quoting you here, your rights end where they impinge or impede on mine. And that's, so it... That's right. Uh, However, if I am a guy who's owning a gun and I'm not killing anybody and you're infringing on my rights to own that gun, I'm not infringing on your rights with my gun. That's where the quagmire comes and the paradox happens is because law-abiding citizens aren't going to be infringing on your rights. But if you infringe upon their rights in the process of them getting their their gun, which they'll do nothing illegal with, that's where the problem lies. Yeah, I I, I understand that. I I think that, you know, I'm not saying that necessarily that those records, your personal information should be viewable by the general public. Hmm. There, I, I feel like there needs to be some system in place that takes that into consideration. I think that there are privacy measures that can be enforced and and respected in that regard. There's also but, a, a bunch of different levels that you kind of have to take into consideration, I think, for me- the mental illness variable in background checks. Because if someone has a history of being suicidal or homicidal, 
um, they can become better. They can move past that. And it, it isn't a condition that they have for the rest of their life. And if it is a mark on their record, that's kind of where the stigma comes in. Well, this person was once suicidal. They were once homicidal. They once had this mental illness. Now they forever have that. When really that's not the case. People can get better. Yeah. So it's yeah, an added they, complication. Yeah, the, the opportunity for rehabilitation and, and improvement in, in that sort of scenario is very real. Um, you know, the, the thing is, though, it's th this is a serious issue. Um, we're not we're not dealing with taking away somebody's right to own a vehicle. We are talking about distributing through sales and other means a tool, an implement that destroys. Yeah. It, it is it is a huge issue. You're talking about something that has the capacity to kill somebody in their life, and I don't think that's to be taken lightly. Um, and I, I'm not implying that you guys do either. Um, no, of course not. But also, and I want to, and this argues kind of against my... I wouldn't even consider myself in the middle on this. I'm really more on the gun side of this because I'm more of a liberty, you know at all costs kind of a guy. But I would say this, there is a difference between an automobile, which, uh, you know, you hear gun people say all the time that, you know, you can kill somebody with a car, blah, blah, blah. But a car's intended purpose isn't to murder, isn't to end life. A firearm, its intended purpose is to end life, whether it be hunting or whether it be warfare or whether it be uh, in, 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 by use uh, of the police. It's its intended purpose is to take life. Absolutely. So I do understand what you're saying there. And I, I really want to get this across, I guess, kind of in the middle here, not really early. And that would be <laughs> that would be that there are probably aren't going to be any perfect solutions where nobody's liberties are are trampled upon. Oh, for sure. And and we come oh, out with this perfect, yeah. this perfect idyllic. Uh, solution that's that's probably not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So when when I when I uh, challenge you about you know well what do you do about this? I'm not saying oh well we shouldn't do what you're saying because someone may have their liberties trampled upon. No, uh, but it's it's all it's all part of having an adult appropriate conversation about it and actually trying to hash it out and understand what both sides are. Goddamn. And come to some sort of middle ground conclusion on it. What a normal metered thing for someone to say. <laughs> you never hear that. <laughs> well, it it it, weird, it weirds me out. And I'm really I'm talking more about the conversation here that someone would not want to talk to us because they think that I'm going to fly off the handle in some crazy conservative rage. I, it's I really want to have the goddamn conversation because it's important. It is. It it absolutely is, and, and I, I don't know if it was just me knowing you that allowed me to be comfortable in this in this setting. But no, it it absolutely needs to be talked about, and hey. I, I don't think enough people are actually sitting down and and trying to understand both sides. He has to be careful with me though, because he doesn't know me that well. So <laughs> <laughs> I could fly off the handle as well. Yeah, you are. You're quite the flyer offer of the handler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just I'm just waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so were there anything what 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 else in in Victor's time did you take issue with? Because we you know we I, you listened to the last episode. We did have people who were 
and not so happy. Yeah, I, I was going to say incensed, but I thought that would be a little harsh. But there were people who didn't who didn't agree at all with what he was saying. No, and I, I think that 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 strong reaction and that that knee jerk reaction to something that people find a little almost offensive. I, I think that's where we're at with this issue. It's people take offense to to the issue. Um, yeah, I, I, I get it. Um, but another point was that I, I got I got the feeling that throughout the whole dialogue with you and Victor, um, he, he kept insisting on bringing up infringing on the constitutional rights of gun owners. I get it. It's a, it's the Second Amendment. It's it's in our Constitution. I understand that that is a serious issue. The thing is, you know. What, what about the safety of others? Within the Declaration of Independence, within the first little bit, you have that, that quote that says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that, that they are endowed by their creator with a certain un- unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The first one is life. That's right. The, first, the very first one in that, that list of three is life. So should we not be able to protect life, even if it means taking that specific right that is laid forth in the Constitution and work with it? Well, I, I, so are you are you are you suggesting that we repeal the Second Amendment? Or what what no. are you saying there? You're kind of you're kind of uh, dancing around. What do, what do you mean exactly? No, I, I, it's it's exactly what we're talking about. There there needs to be an understanding, possibly a reinterpretation, in our in modernity, for what that means. You know, you, you go you go back to in 1939, the Supreme Court ruled on it was United United States uh, v. Miller, and that that was the the ruling that restricted. Um, the un- unregistered and unchecked possession of shotguns that have barrels less than 18 inches long, sawed-off shotguns, basically. Right, which is which is kind of a product of the Interstate Commerce Clause during uh, FDR's administration, which many look at as a a virulent opposition to of the power of the fe- unchecked, unfettered power of the federal government. Right. So, because up until then. The the interstate commerce clause is you know that's how they got around a federal police force because there is no federal allowance for a police force in the Constitution. But because of Congress being able to regulate commerce between the states, that's how they get around that. It's that's yeah. that's why we can they can propose the gun regulations that they do. And I'm kind of getting off into the weeds here. But it's because of the Interstate Commerce Clause. That's why recently, probably five years ago, and I don't know where this went because I'm not a gun nut. This is not my issue du jour. Or it's my issue du jour, but it's not my, it's not my favorite issue. <laughs> but a, a few years ago in Montana, they had a gun company that was going to make guns that were only allowed to be sold and, and, and possessed in Montana which would take them out of the, re- the, the reach of the federal regulatory system. So the Congress and the government couldn't say anything about this particular gun. They couldn't regulate it because it's only in Montana. It's not interstate commerce. Anyway, like I said, in the weeds. Yeah. But 
I would say I would say two things about your your Jefferson argument, and it's a good one. But I would say that it, those words were important relative to establishing our independence, and that's what the Declaration of Independence did. It was kind of a letter. It was a middle finger to England in the form of beautiful beautiful prose written by Thomas Jefferson. But it didn't. Yeah. But that particular life liberty didn't make it in to the amendments of our Constitution. The right to bear arms did, and this is kind of a cultural thing. And people say, well, you know, large there are large nations all over the the globe that don't have this kind of problem, and a lot of this stems from our culture because we are that rugged individualist that 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 we moved west and we conquered nature and made this country and we have always rebelled against the powers that be whether it be the crown or other people trying to usurp our ownership of this land colonialism and all that i mean it's we come from a different tradition than other countries and just stripping away because well denmark doesn't do it that way sorry alexander <laughs> <laughs> but because other countries don't do it that way, they come from a different tradition. Most countries have for hundreds, if not thousands of years, lived under the yoke of a monarchy of some sort. We're not that way. We're different. We are special. We are different that way. And although we've, it has put us in a position where we are in a bad time right now with the gun violence and the problem... We need to, when talking about this and having these arguments, we need to understand, take that into consideration when talking about how to solve the problems that we have. Because we're not Scandinavia. We're not England. We're not fucking Japan. We're different. Right. Absolutely. So, so okay. So, let's let's go back. So, you, you think that we need to ramp up the different more than 10 points or whatever the I'm such not an expert on the gun thing that I don't even know how many points of background checking they do when they look for a, when they when when you go to buy a firearm but right. you think that mental illness needs to be somehow worked in there yeah i think i think it needs to be considered i think that there needs to be a a, a better way to keep track of and to consider the mental health aspect to People who may be, and it, it may not be the case. Like what Brittany stated before, there is always a chance that people, I mean, people do get better. That is a very realistic point. But with, with dealing with something that is of such gravity, there needs to be some sort of consideration regarding that. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And this is why, this is, I, I guess, the, the quandary that I have with issues like this that are so emotional. It's always the real important issues that are so emotional. And the problem lies there therein that because it's emotional, people don't use their fucking brains when they talk and think about it. And so it never really gets solved because it's so charged. And we need to be able to extricate ourselves from that emotion or s somewhat and talk about this from a, a logical perspective that's going to better all of us as a society and not just the gun owner side or not just the the anti-gun people if, if you're so quick to disregard the value of life in this argument no nobody's nobody can come out of this okay you know nobody can come out of this 
with with a realistic expectation that their life is actually being valued. Um, I, I've got a graphic that I got from these Stanford University website of mass shootings since 1966 can, in the U.S. You can tell he's a listener because he's citing his source. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I, I'm trying to be as, as reputable as possible. Yeah, it's good. Um, the the graphic look it looks like the country has chickenpox. What is it's, it? What does it portray? It basically it's it's conveying the not only the the events of the mass shooting and they redefined a mass shooting as um, and any mass killing that killed more than three people in an instance, which you know I, I think the technical uh, FBI requirement is is more than four hmm. um but it, it shows i mean I, I can send it to you guys too um they're just everywhere it, it, it's it's rampant and if, if you look at this in this context i'm i'm fearful in this nature like it, it's it scares me to, to look at this i mean I, I can understand why 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 people are scared to be around people in an open carry environment. And well, I'm not saying that I would, I, I would say that the, the vast, I mean, vast majority of gun owners in this country, whether they be concealed carry people or even open carry people are law abiding citizens who, uh, from whom you have nothing to fear. I absolutely agree with that. So it and is kind of an irrational and I get it. No, I get it. If I see somebody walking down the street packing, I'm going to be on guard. Right, and I, I understand that, and I completely agree with you, but from the the vast majority of non-gun owners and the vast majority of people who aren't subjected to or choose to subject themselves to that type of, that cultural um, ideal, they're, they're one and the same. The fear is just, it's it's there. And, and maybe maybe there's a, the onus of, resp- of, of education in that regard is on, on that person who does have that fear rational or not yeah but, but, but i don't think we can legislate our uh, about our fears our irrational fears just because you you feel uncomfortable and you're scared it's like me if i'm if i'm um in a in a in, in, let's say i'm in a class with someone who's been raped by a tall redheaded guy <laughs> listen i feel for that person but i can't you can't exclude me from the class because that person has an irrational fear of me because I happen to look like I'm it's an analogous it's not really analogous but if we have established that the vast majority I mean the overwhelming vastly vast majority of gun owners are law-abiding nothing to fear kind of people then we've established that it is an uh an unwarranted fear and we can't legislate to appease people who have unwarranted or irrational fears. But no, is, is no? 33,636 deaths a year unwarranted? Is your fear, I mean, should we, we have 350 million people in this country and 33,636 or whatever the number is, from a per- from a percent p- standpoint, that's that's a very small percentage. Now, absolutely, thirty three, you know, thirty five thousand people is too many people to die at the hands of guns, for sure. 
but we can't legislate and strip away and infringe upon people's constitutional rights based on irrational fear. I, I, yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with that. But, but I do. But I do. That's not to say I don't think something needs to be done. And I think you're on to something when you, when you. And listen, I think the audience needs to know, especially those who are outside of the country, that Austin is from an area that is gun rich. You are you are in gun culture country. Oh, we're in the thick of it. Yeah, I mean, you, you are you are in <laughs> Republican ground fucking zero for guns, and your position would be considered uh, an anomaly in your area. Yeah, I mean, for example, Boise State opened up, you know, concealed carry on campus recently. Right, which is the local <laughs> major university. Right. So I kind of want to bring it back around to the mental illness thing because, (laughs) well, that's kind of, well, it all revolves around that though. Well, and it's also kind of, that's your wheelhouse. Yeah. So (laughs) I don't know. It makes me, it makes me very uncomfortable. And for a couple of reasons, I think one is because mentally ill people are, are far more likely to be victims of violence than to commit violent crimes. Right. That's, that's the number one. It's a statistical, it's a proven number. And then number two, I, I don't know. It just concerns me having this um, this situation where it's, well, we should prevent people with mental illnesses from obtaining guns, just like we do felons, because, you know... Because we're scared. Yeah, and I, I feel like that's negative, and it might also prevent people that need help from getting help, because it contributes to that stigma of, well, we can't trust you just like we can't trust felons. Ugh, we need to kind of yeah. keep you on lock. Well, how do we... Then let's let's put our heads together here. Maybe we need to double back and have Victor on with, with Austin and have us all kind of have a roundtable. How do we prevent the, the Elliot Rogers... And the Adam Lanzas and the Dylan Klebold and the Dickface in Oregon, how do we prevent these maniacs from getting their hands on guns? That should be the question. And I right. think all of those cases are different. Yeah. So it's hard. You can't just look at all these cases and say, here's the hard and fast line. I mean, people have been trying to make the antidepressant argument. When you hear antidepressant commercials, they say, you know, these will make you suicidal. They don't say homicidal. Yeah, that makes me. And I mean, it sends Brittany into a fucking an irreversible <laughs> rage. Well, also, because the, it's true. The link that they provide is from the. The, the Center for Human Rights or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's Scientology. So, you know, they obviously have a motivation behind making people believe that. Um, hang, on, hang on, though. I don't want to get too far into the weeds about your little picadillos, your little pet project hatred situations. Scientology notwithstanding, <laughs> I hate it. But let's I want to we got to wrap this up because I don't want to have the entire episode be this. Yeah. We've got other shit we have to to get to. It, it's this. It, it's. Maybe we do need to have kind of a roundtable, but I also would would put a call out to the audience that what do you think about how do we keep guns out of the hands of the people who don't, who shouldn't have them, the people who are dangerous? How do we do that while still respecting our, our culture, our history, and our constitution, and the very important liberties and freedoms of law abiding millions and millions of law abiding Americans. 
That is the question. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We really do want to hear from you on this issue. Um, We've been getting a lot of emails, a lot of voicemails, but I want that specific question answered because everybody talks and talks about it and says that we can't do this and we can't do that. And look, I'm not proposing a solution yet because I just don't fucking know. I tend to rely or lean heavily on the side of liberty over danger. That's why I hate the Patriot Act. But help us out. If you have an idea, I want to hear it. 657-464-7609. Yeah, well, this has been good. Um, before, Before I let you go, Austin, lay it on me. Uh, anything else? Yeah, you know, I, I, I definitely don't want to like paint myself into a corner just picking on the the, the mental evaluation aspect of, of my argument. Oh, um, I don't, I don't think you have done that at all. I, I think that I think you've <laughs> been, I think you've been sensitive to it. It's just Brittany's, you know, she's super sensitive to it because she's where she is educationally and 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 it's, and, it's and occupationally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that you've. Uh, and I'm sensitive to it, too, because Brittany is sensitive to it. Yes. So I don't think that that's... Uh... If anyone thinks that, that you're kind of going after mental illness, uh, I think they're getting the wrong idea. Well, Brittany is a fucking bulldog <laughs> in that way, so she would have attacked you. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, but but along with that, I had a couple more points that I'll, I'll just quickly gloss over here. Um, I, I think that the education on with for firearms is a huge thing um you know because it is a federal constitutional issue i think that there should be some sort of federally regulated curriculum that is renewed just like a driver's license kind of would be um i agree with that that sounds like a great idea that is something that we talked about last time with dan on the call the 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 dan call which was yeah. that this is it, this can't be regulated at a state level because it is a federally protected right. So it uh, yeah, it does need to be. I mean, this the, there is no right to drive a car. That's why the states handle that on an individual state basis because of the right. t- the Tenth Amendment of our Constitution. However, right. this is a federal thing, so it should be regulated, protected, and also you know run by the federal government, not the states. I agree with you there. On on top of that, there. There are a couple other things too. Um, I, I think I think one viable um, option to help tackle this issue would be establishing some sort of, you know, and, and this is going to be a very unpopular point, is establishing some sort of insurance structure. Um, hmm. You know, and it, it's it's not something that I've I've heard anybody say. But yeah, I think me that, either. You know. It, it may be important and beneficial to analyze the risk of dequalified owners of firearms. And with the whole education and certification process, there can be a deduction process created for you know potential safety measures, gun safes and locks, um, the age and number of children in, in the prospective home, age and applicable credentials of homeowner and potential users, and quantities of firearms in the home. Um, you know... I, I, for example, with my vehicle, I know a vehicle is not a, a firearm, but with with my car, the car that I own and, and pay insurance on, I'm I'm a little more restrictive on who I let drive my car. I'm careful about 
how fast I go. I drive appropriately according to the laws that are set forth. And I feel that that makes me a more responsible car owner. And so, I, I think so you believe that we should have some kind of this couldn't be a privately run insurance program because we're not going to no. we're not going to enrich in insurance fucking companies. Jesus no, no, Christ, no, 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 no. that would be no. terrible. You're talking about a, a federally run program that's kind of like uh, fucking earthquake insurance or something. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Victor was talking about the things being cost prohibitive. And, and his, his aversion to the cost prohibitive nature of registry of certification. But the thing, the thing is, the thing about this country and the thing about our lifestyles as Americans, everything's fucking cost prohibitive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on gun own owners, but if you, if you have the right to own 20 cars, if you want to, that doesn't give you an exemption to register and insure those. Yeah. I, I mean, while I see your point, I do think that because it's in the fucking it's in the Constitution. It's not just owning a car or being able to eat 500 candy bars. It's it is it is intrinsic to who we are as, as a people, as Americans. And to say, yeah, well, you can own a gun, but it's going to cost you three thousand dollars to register that gun. That flies. You know, it's the same with voter ID laws. These some states, it's nine dollars to get a vote to get an ID to go vote. And your people, the Democrats, <laughs> let me get that clear. Uh, you know, your side of things would be, oh, my God, that's cost prohibitive. You're 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 infringing on their right to vote because of a nine dollar cost of an ID. Um Th that does play a role and he when he says some some costs are like 200 300 i i don't know i'm not the arbiter of what is what is cost prohibitive but you know that would seem like a pretty substantial amount when it's you know 50 percent of the cost of the gun i don't sure, know but, but if, if, if there's no compromise if, if we're saying no on one side if, if we're saying no that's you know we're, we're not going to do that um not going to register all our guns or I mean, th there's got to be some some communal work. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, I just want to be true to the Constitution because it says no, it I, shall not yeah. be infringed. You know, we we th that's it, it, if if we find that that isn't infringing on that right, impinging on that right, then goddamn, go for it. I just don't want to violate our Constitution. If it's like I've been saying, if you want to change it. Call your your elected representative and put that in motion. You need yeah. to to let it be known the whole country needs to stand up with one loud voice and say we need to repeal the Second Amendment of our Constitution, the one of the ten amendments that really truly had our founding fathers' hands on. I I, I mean it's going to be tough, but if it if if the country decides as one loud democracy to amend the, the, our founding document, then that's what needs to happen. Yeah, I, I I agree, and I completely get that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it's important to keep having this conversation, keep sitting down in, in settings like this, and bring awareness to it. And you know, not not as a oh, not as an extreme point. I'm not saying like bring awareness to it, like you know, cancer awareness. But it, it is a problem, so we need to keep working on it, keep working together, have respectful 
dialogue and and just move move the conversation forward. Yeah. Well, wh- what we need to do it, and I have I have disagreed I think with very little that you've said. I think you're you're a far more moderate on this than I thought you would be. But I would say that we need to keep the fervor because in the in the wake of a shooting there is high levels of emotionality. There are you know the, the people are are, are are sad and angry and frustrated and passions are high. We need to keep that same level of passion three months later when there isn't a shooting happening. And Absolutely, because who's who's talking about Oregon right now? That's right. It's ex- well, I think maybe us. <laughs> uh, right. But, but there, there also needs to be a collective media refocusing. Yes. There's far too much attention and recognition given to the shooters. And yeah. it's the in, in Elliot Rogers' instance, that was the attention he was looking for. That's exactly right. You know, it, there are a lot of improvements that, that we can make on this whole process, and it it it's going to take the collective us to say, "Wake the fuck up, and let's do something real about it." I think that is a perfect place to stop. Wake the fuck up <laughs> and do something about it. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, man. Well, thanks for coming on. We appreciate your voice always. You're, uh, you're awesome. Yeah, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me. You, you, might, you might be getting a call soon because we may have this little uh, Victor Austin, Brittany, Jesse sandwich salad. We'll call it a salad. How's that, Brittany? Delicious. <laughs> Delicious. All right. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, that's awesome. Always a good time when we have Austin on. We've had him on once before, and of course, he's left a couple voicemails. Austin, I wanted to get him off the horn, off the phone, before I started S&SD a little bit, but Austin's a real smart guy. Um, I love him a lot. He's, he's a good friend of mine. He's, he's, uh, he's unique, a unique character, but uh, a beautiful person uh, for whom I have a lot of respect, both for him, and, but also for his opinions, because he he thanks and uh we need more of that you know what i mean yeah i agree with you i think that he always offers a very unique perspective and you know he needs to kind of copyright that insurance idea because <laughs> once people catch on to that idea and they start talking about it he needs to be like no you guys need to go listen to episode number 164 of i doubt it with Moore, and you'll see that that was actually my original right. idea that's actually what he should do yes and we're getting it on the record on the record on the record three times is how many times you need to say it to make it official so on the record mm-hmm. four i guess <laughs> Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. All right. Well, there has been lots of talk after the debate, prior to the debate, and continuing about Joe Biden, current sitting vice president of these United States, jumping into the race to run for president. And it's still unsure, but the talk is amping up. It's the big question all over Washington. Will he or won't he? When Joe Biden's political future came up in the Oval Office, the vice president was just a few feet away, listening with his lips sealed. President Obama later brushed off the question. I'm not going to comment on what Joe's doing or not doing. I think uh, you can direct those questions to 
my very able vice president. But a decision appears to be coming soon. So says Biden's former Senate chief of staff, Ted Kaufman, in a message to the vice president's political network. I am confident that the vice president is aware of the practical demands of making a final decision soon. Kaufman also described what a Biden campaign would be like. In other words, they're going to put you all back in chains. Lots of Biden being Biden. I think it's fair to say, knowing him as we all do, that it won't be a scripted affair. After all, it's Joe. But Democrats are all but begging Biden to hurry. As one senior party official put it, if the silence goes into next week, friends think the decision is made for him. Hillary Clinton is practically pushing herself in this interview with CNN's Jake Tapper. A decision has to be made, but certainly I'm not in any way um, suggesting or recommending that the vice president accept any timetable other than the one that is clicking inside of him. He has to make this decision. Plus, the longer Biden waits, the more it hurts. The latest poll in New Hampshire shows Clinton and Democratic rival Bernie Sanders way out in front of the vice president. When Democratic voters were asked if Biden should enter the race, half said no. I think he knows this is this is D-Day um, and, and he's got to make a decision. Um, a lot of people are waiting and people who really care about him and want to help him are waiting, too. And so he needs to move on there. Democrats are starting to compare Biden's lengthy deliberations to those of the late New York governor, Mario Cuomo, who actually had a plane on a tarmac waiting to take him to New Hampshire in 1992. But Cuomo pulled back at the last minute. And a Clinton went on to become president. All right, with your little creative bullshit at the end there, CNN. Listen. What a hater. I have said that he does need to get his shit together and make a decision because the longer he waits it's it's going to be impossible but there is there is fervor out there for him excitement and support all across the country for joe biden to run especially in the face of hillary clinton and her issues notwithstanding her shrill voice but her political issues mm-hmm. <laughs> but what what are they talking about you know, when they when they go into the polling and he says that they need to hurry up because he's really he's fallen in the polls, those poll numbers would be completely to be tossed out once he joined the race because it would change everything. So I'm eager this week. I think this is the week to find out. And if we don't find out this week, it's. It's a no. Right, because he already missed the first debate, and yeah. th- they're already not having many debates. So, Yeah, only six are on the schedule right now. Yes. So we will see. All right, well, let's wrap the show with everybody's favorite, at least Britney's favorite. It's for sure Britney's favorite, sometimes my favorite. Take care of biz. Taking care of biz. Harry Bradshaw. Oh, you'll have to explain to our listeners, because I'm sure there are some who don't know, or you probably don't know the history for sure. I uh, do not know who Terry Bradshaw is. <laughs> I mean, he is a very entertaining sports caster. Oh, okay. Well, that's all I guess they'd need to know. They yes. don't need to know that he's a, a multi-Super Bowl winning Pittsburgh Steeler and a generally very funny, affable entertaining, very likable guy. Yes, he's in commercials and things like that. Yeah. 
which I know that sounds insulting to say because he has this this great sports career. But since I know nothing about sports, yeah, you're you're not a you're not a football fan, right? So he was on his on his show where he does like the sports roundtable with other hosts. What is that show called? I don't know what it's called now. I think it's a it's a Fox Fox NFL Sunday. Yeah, that's right. Um, so he was talking about Greg Hardy. That's right. Dallas Cowboy. Mm-hmm. And a judge just convicted him. He's 27 years old. A judge convicted him last July of assaulting and threatening to kill his ex-girlfriend. The woman accused Hardy of strangling her, slamming her body against furniture, and throwing her onto a couch covered with guns. Hardy appealed his conviction and requested a jury trial after the victim didn't appear in court to testify. Earlier this year, prosecutors dropped the case and Hardy's charges were dismissed. So he had a four-game suspension from the NFL and he recently returned to the NFL. Yeah. And Terry Bradshaw was not too happy about that. Not happy. Well, listen, the, the NFL clearly, I don't know if it's an endemic problem throughout the NFL, but it's got a lot of press. And that is a domestic violence problem, an issue. It's a light has been shown, shined, whatever, on 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 domestic violence in the National Football League. Ray Rice, we talked about it at length last year, with his light sentence from the his punishment from the NFL after he punched his then fiance, now wife, and knocked her the fuck out in a, in a Vegas elevator. Then there was famously or infamously Adrian Peterson whipping his four-year-old child so hard with a a switch from a tree that he was bruising and injuring his little testicles. Fucking terrible. And then now this. Well, this is what Terry Bradshaw had to say on the air. Hardy was convicted by a judge last year on two counts of assault on a woman. But there's a quirk in the law in Carolinas where you can go before a jury trial. But what happened was is that the alleged victim didn't fail to show up, is thrown out. So he gets a full year's pay, $13 million, then comes back this year and lay, has to lay out the first four games. All right? Fine. Now, anybody, in my opinion, that lays a hand on a woman, I don't care who you are, my friend. You never come back in this league. But Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones and his desperation to get a pass rusher said, well, you know what, America, a Cowboy fans, he's all right. He's a good boy. We're going to get him all straightened out over here and bring him in there, which he did. <laughs> he has a first news conference. He makes a fool of himself. And then Jerry goes out and says, well, Elizabeth, he, he, he basically becomes an enabler himself. This is wrong. We have no place for this. And I'm actually tired of talking about the hardest of the world. And I really, really seriously hope that eventually we never have a place in the NFL for people that touch a woman, strike a woman. Pretty great. Because one, he's taking on a very powerful NFL owner. He's he's taking on and making fun of even the way he talks mm-hmm. it, it, on the, in this clip. It's really great. We're going to put it on the Facebook page for sure. But I agree with him in a sense. I mean, I for sure agree with him that no man should be hitting a woman. But also, that it's a special thing to be playing in the NFL. It's not like, you know, Derek the plumber beat his wife and now he can never work again ever. We're not talking about that. We're talking about someone who's making millions of dollars as a celebrity 
And as an athlete, to me, it is kind of a privilege. It's not necessarily just having a regular old job and, you know, oh, I got a problem with anger. It's, it's different. And I think the NFL, at least, at the very least, from a public relations standpoint, should do something about it. Yeah, and I think it was bold of Terry Bradshaw to make these comments. And you could kind of tell, I mean, from my perspective, that the panel that he was sitting with looked somewhat uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I think it is rare to hear someone speak this way uh, in these communities. And I think it's great that he took that step and he's being vocal about it. That's awesome. Well, you know, the NFL is a multi-billion dollar business. And for him to rock the boat, you know, it might not be safe for him career-wise, even though he's largely and widely beloved but good for him definitely i think taking care of biz all right listen we love you we appreciate you why don't you sound off 657-464-7609 email voice memo smartphone uh, blah 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 we appreciate every single one of you guys it means a lot to us that you join us twice a week or as often as you do if you'd like to support the show by other than listening and other than checking out Patreon.com, you can go to dollamore.com and find the Amazon link if you're going to spend your money anyway at Amazon.com. Why not help your favorite show filled with news, news. and ridiculous comments? Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. This is perceived as me trying to pry Jesse's mouth open and directly shit right into his face. 